Welcome to Built with Grit. I am your host and strategic partner in cost reduction, Louis Fernandez. And today we're joined by John Thacker, co-founder of TBH Logistics. But before we get into that, if you're a fan of inspiring people and informative content, then you come to the right place because that's all we do. So go ahead and smash that like button. And with that, John, how are you doing, my friend? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, Louis. I'm 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 uh, looking forward to this conversation. I was sort of looking through your LinkedIn profile, and one of the things I, I talk about in this podcast is that every um, every product or service that we exchange money for, what we don't often realize is that behind it, there's a lot of heart, there's a lot of effort, there's somebody that took a risk, there's somebody that is taking a risk to make sure that we get that product into our hands. Um, and that's a special type of person. And I like to bring those stories out and tell them. So maybe we appreciate all of those little things that we experience every day. Uh, and yeah. so I'm excited to have you on to share your little portion of that. Awesome. Well, thank you. <clears throat> so, so talk to me a little bit about, cause very few people go straight into being a entrepreneur, right. Or, or business owner or whatever. Um, so where are you from originally? Talk to me a little bit about your story of kind of growing up and, um, and how you got to where you're at. And I'll probably interrupt you there. If that's cool. At some point. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my family is kind of scattered around the New Orleans area. Um, so growing up, you know, every two years, three years, we'd pull up stakes and move to another state and, uh, get to make new friends and lose old friends and all of that. So I had, you know, that experience growing up of having to form relationships quickly, uh, having to deal with change and loss and that sort of thing. Um, and so, you know, got to that age, you know, where you go to college or do whatever. And so I went to college and, you know, really, honestly, I, I kind of went, for wrestling and babes, but uh, I also <laughs> got a college education out of it. <laughs> um, so, and then I found out, you know, that that uh, didn't didn't work so well for me. So I'm there, you know, like loading trailers for Walmart, you know, planning, uh, you know, planning how I was going to take over the world with my, you know, amazing preparation skills and everything. And uh, got married, and uh, you know, my wife kind of just told me get your shit together and go back to grad school so went to uh, the University of Louisville uh, for my MBA I was working for a third-party logistics company at the time and was also able to complete my uh, black belt in mm. Lean Six Sigma and they were an actual um, Lean Six Sigma company so you know it was a uh, a great opportunity to be exposed to people who really believed in scientific thinking and engineering management, that sort of thing. So, so what was your original degree in, and uh, where did you go to undergrad, by the way? I went to undergrad at uh, Pensacola Christian College. My oh, okay. um, degree, I started out in software engineering and it took me about uh, 30 minutes in the computer lab to figure out that it just wasn't going to work for me. Um, so I ended up graduating with a liberal arts degree, um, most because that was the fastest, cheapest way to get out of college. Dude. Okay. So I'm going to tell you, um, I, I went to university of Florida. I started as an industrial engineer. Um, and after my first semester, I did well, I, I had a 4.0 GPA and I took my, my class, my, my report card back home. And I showed it to my parents. I said, just so you know, it's not because I can't do it, but because I absolutely hate it. I am changing my major. <laughs> and it was like, I knew it was, it wasn't very long into this. It was beyond the point where I could like drop all my classes and change my major. Like I was kind of stuck and it was like, I can't do this for another three and a half years. This isn't going to work. And then I thought, uh, there's no way my parents are going to continue to help me out if I go to do some liberal arts, you know, de degree. And so, yeah, so that was my way of showing my parents, like I can do it. I'm just not interested. So, and I did the same. I, I graduated with a history major um, because 
now there's a little bit difference there because 9-11 happened my sophomore year. So um, I actually joined the ROTC program and it was the fastest way to get into the army and, and finish my degree. But similar, I just hear your story and I'm like, dude, that's exactly what I did. And then I went back and got my MBA also. So like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I had a uh, mentor at the time, um, the boss of our plant. He'd actually been the boss of the Ford plant and he was also the president National Black Caucus of Engineers. Um, he had a double master's, I think electrical engineering and an MBA. Sharp as, sharp as a whip, uh, Dallas Cowboys fan, but I don't hold that against him uh, because he's <laughs> from that area. <laughs> but uh, he pulled me, he made me a supervisor, you know, when he heard about my experience in education and he put me in charge of a department that was losing about $40,000 a month said turn it around so three months later uh, we were making thirty thousand a month and you know he called me into his office gave me a big raise and you know the guy was so sharp he gave me less than i would have asked for but because he did it first you know first move for principal like he got to pay me less than i was <laughs> worth but i still felt like he was doing me this awesome favor um, <laughs> So I learned a lot okay. from the guy. So hold on. That's first off. Great. How did you turn around and they're losing you? That's a $70,000 a month swing. And you said three months, you yeah, accomplished that in 90 months. days. Yeah. <clears throat> um, you get, you got to tell me more like that's wild. Uh, yeah. Well, the business situation, I won't go into, you know, too many details. I don't want to incriminate anybody, but the business was in a situation where it had grown super fast and people were just getting things done and nobody had stopped to think about the system. Hmm. You know, what is the system that creates value for our business partner? Because it was a third party logistics company. And we worked with a, a cell phone company, uh, not the manufacturer but the provider and mm -hmm. we would distribute hardware phones for this uh, provider from multiple uh, different manufacturers and so we had to work with product launches different customers of our customer require special packaging you know walmart wants their phone in a special package that has the walmart logo on it and sure the low price on the front. So some of this co-pack, you know, value added activity uh, in the supply chain. So we were just throwing bodies at it, throwing horsepower at it. And I was able to use my uh, Lean Six Sigma skills to kind of analyze it. And, you know, the technical aspect was super easy. You know, you can watch somebody walk for 15 minutes and figure out, you know, 80% of your day is waste, right? Yep. The difficult part was the people, right? Mm -hmm. And that's sort of how I've evolved in my personal development, my career, leadership and human interaction, emotional intelligence is far more important than the technical knowledge that you might have to get something done. So I really see, you know, the victory with this you know, particular situation was being able to work with the people and convince enough of them <laughs> that we actually changed, right? <laughs> I'm also a Lean Six Sigma black belt. Uh, you know, I always thought that was funny that, that <laughs> you know, you say you were a wrestler, I, I did jujitsu and it's like, yeah. <laughs> and keep that on kind of on the DL, right? <clears throat> Where my lean six black belt to the to the mat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but it's it's interesting you talk about that because um one is once you kind of opened up to understanding how we take little bits of waste and if you do them enough times, they they end up being big amounts of waste. And um the first time I I, I remember that every time I talk about that it reminds me of a story. I had a um, an employee 
that came to me one day and uh, and it, we were kind of joking around. He said, oh, I, I wait to poop until I'm at work. <laughs> and I kind of laughed and said, well, I'm like, OK, tell me more. I, I'm I like, I'm afraid to ask, but I'm curious here. And he goes, well, if I poop on the clock and, and he like started talking about the math, he knew about how long each of these breaks cost, you know, and then he had like done the math and he goes, so every year our employer pays me and it, I can't remember the number. I was like, it was like $5,000 to take poops. So I hold it. <laughs> See, I'm the other way around. Like I, I will, I will squeeze. I will squeeze, man. I am not going at work. I will not do that. Like I have to be home. To do, it better. It has to be an emergency. Like I just don't trust that. <laughs> <laughs> so, <clears throat> but that is, you know, that's kind of a funny way of looking. But that's exactly what you're doing with Lean. I mean, if you see that that person's tool is is you know seven steps away, and they use it a hundred times a day, you know, they start adding, it starts adding up. I mean, we've had employees that were walking 10 miles a day. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Well, we had, um, you know, multiple products, multiple SKUs. So if you think about it, you know, take phone, just one model of iPhone has four colors, but it also has three different memory capacities. So you've got 12 SKUs right yeah. there for a single iPhone. Right. Now imagine that you have to provide, you know, four different iPhone models and six different Samsung models and, you know, LG and the, the Google phone, all of these products. So we had, we had quite a bit of uh, SKU, SKU proliferation. And this was a business to business um, unit. So a store orders, a case of this, a store, this customer, that sort of thing. And so the um, forward pick area wasn't large enough for all the SKUs we had to pick every day. And there was mm. a lot of built into kind of uh, replacing product in the forward pick area um, in real time. Oh, I need this SKU. It's not on the floor. Um, find a fork truck driver, you know, flag somebody down. Hey, can you pull me down a pallet of this. Okay. Can you put it back up? You know, things like that. Hmm. So, you know, most businesses evolve this way though. You know, it's, it's a good, it's good to have these problems. It means you're growing and we have grown um, really significantly. So that was the opportunity or the, the reason I had the opportunity. Good, good thing to have, but at some point businesses have to pause long enough to evaluate sort of the whole value chain. It's, you know, how are we creating value? What goes into that? What does our process look like? And then let's, let's make it efficient. Let's make it easier for the employees. Let's make it, you know, cheaper, more affordable, that sort of thing. And this was a um, piece rate contract. So that's why we were losing money. We didn't have the uh, cushion of like a cost plus model or something like that. Mm -hmm. But it also meant that after these improvements, we got to keep all the money. So <laughs> yeah. it really was a win-win. Yeah. <clears throat> so how long did you stay there? I think I was with that company for about three years. But the punchline is this um, general manager is the one that told me, you know, you need to, you need to get your MBA. And mm. so he sponsored my black belt my green belt first all of that um as well as my mba so i had to have so you figured all this out without having gone through any of the six sigma training no no this was um really concurrent with my okay uh, sure all so right I had green belt at this point and okay and all right okay i mean i'm not saying that one is like you know you you have to have this this qualification to to be able to understand these concepts, um, but I was just kind of surprised that you know someone would think of it that way. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, uh, no, but it makes the, sense. I, I think it's a really good conversation. It's probably a separate conversation, but the the whole concept of certifications and training. Um, you can have the knowledge without a certification, but nobody really knows you have it. 
Mm-hmm. And it's, it's so much uh, more efficient, I think, effective to, to have a guide and a coach and somebody to really, really train you instead of watching YouTube videos, right? Mm. Uh, on the flip side, I know plenty of guys have all kinds of things that, you know, don't know what they're doing. So, yep. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, and we'll just leave it there. yeah, we'll just leave it there. So, you, I mean, you mentioned that part of the problem is the human element of it. And I think that's what often gets missed because, you know, if you're going to somebody's workspace that they spend 10 hours a day or eight hours a day in a day in, day out, and they've been doing it a certain way for 15 years. And you're like, Hey, I've got a great idea. Uh, I'm going to switch all this up. I'm like, what are you doing? Get the hell out of, I got a great idea. You can get the out of my, you know, area. That's what you can do. <laughs> so winning these yep. people over is not an easy task. <clears throat> yeah. And, um, for me, part of my personal development, I guess for some broader context, when I was loading trailers for Walmart, my entire concern was personal performance. I wanted to be the best and I was. Um, so I got promoted to a team leader and realized really quickly that individual performance and team performance have nothing in common. And, and really I was promoted for the wrong reason. I was promoted because I was really good at loading trailers. You know, I, what turns out I wasn't good as a team lead, uh, mm-hmm. but I had a team around me that recognized that quickly team of leaders and they put me with the right team to learn, you know, how to be a leader. So I started studying team leadership and team dynamics and team outcomes. And then as I got, you know, sort of further in my career, I realized that, you know, leadership affected team dynamics and that became sort of the focus of my learning and that sort of thing. And then as I progressed further, I realized that most leadership is constrained by corporate culture. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of where I'm at right now. A lot of my reading and education and study is based around the culture of the company and how does that, you know, keep people from leading effectively or encourage them to lead effectively. Um, and yeah, when it's time to change, when it's time to lead an improvement product project, you know, early in my career, like at this time, I just had this idea in the back of my head that if something was logical, people would go along with it. Maybe that was the software engineering thing you know, <laughs> coming out of it. Uh, couldn't be farther from the truth. Right. <laughs> hey, if you do this instead of that, you'll go home less tired. I don't care. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, I must not have been clear. What I said was, yeah, I heard you, punk. Now screw off. You know? <laughs> oh, okay. Well, so is, people are not functions. Right? That is spot on an exact representation of how these conversations go between a young engineering type guy and the 30 year uh, veteran of assembly or whatever. (laughs) I don't care. (laughs) Yes. hundred percent. So, so what made you, at what point do you realize like, Hey, um, I can do this on my own. Yeah, so really the impetus for starting um, TBH, and we'll talk a little bit about what we do, why we're different, but I've been running operations, you know, primarily warehouses in manufacturing supply chain for the most part for some time. And I had to write checks and do budgets and P&Ls and all that. And I'd be looking at how much money we spent on warehouse supplies. And most of the companies I worked for either had a preferred partner, like click this link to order supplies from you know, this large global provider, or you know, you have a company credit card, you can always buy local if you want to, whatever. Mm. And I had some knowledge of how some of these things were manufactured from 
just my background and connections and stuff like that and what the cost should look like, that sort of thing. And it was just astonishing to me how much money we were spending on warehouse supplies. And it sort of came to a head for me personally when we had a, a savings target and we were off by like 15,000. It was like, you know, if I paid five cents less per fill in the blank, we would have beat that this year. And I thought there, there has to be a better way to do this. <clears throat> and that's where the idea of TBH was born. And, you know, the rest is history. So we started a warehouse supplies um, company. And here's, here's how we're different. Here's what we do differently. You know, if you've worked in a factory or a warehouse every month, like clockwork, you get this big, thick, glossy catalog from somebody with 10 million products in it that you're never going to use, right? And they still haven't figured out this whole, like, you know, save the environment thing. So they send out this paper catalog, you know, uh, every month. Well, who's paying for that? Hmm. The people buying the products are yeah. paying for that. In fact, the current business model for warehouse supplies, the people selling you the supplies don't manufacture anything. Most of it is manufactured offshore. Some right. of it is local. And they have purchasing contracts and then they bring the product into a warehouse and they store it and then they pay somebody to put it away, somebody to fulfill your order, you know, pick your order, ship it to you. So really the customer is paying for manufacturing, for transportation from the original manufacturer, for storage, insurance, taxes, payroll, Marketing. to ship the product again, and that's all baked into your cost. Mm -hmm. So what we do at TBH is we get with our customers on commonly used warehouse items, things like shrink wrap, corrugate, packing tape, void fill, banding. These are things that you use every day. I used to order a pallet of shrink wrap a month, you know, yep. with this, this one warehouse I was at. And then we shop around the manufacturers and find out who wants their business. Hmm. And then the manufacturer ships it directly to the customer. So we just cut out the middleman. Hmm. And by doing that, can pass that savings right along to the customer. Nice. So, you know, it's only a matter of time. You know, the barriers to entry aren't super high here, but we really feel like this is the future of ordering supplies. Um, it's almost the... Uh, you know, the Amazon model for warehouses. You know, why should you have to uh, pay for old school supply chain for things that you use every day, right? I'll tell you that I'm seeing, um, so I used to work for Fortune 100 myself. I was in marketing, I was a program manager, then this sourcing thing, worked in factories, see all of this, uh, very similar with it. With, but <clears throat> what I saw, for instance, in the marketing world, Making a change today, if you want to stay competitive, you have to be very, very fast. Your decision-making process has to be almost instantaneous. Like the amount of um, authority and decision-making capabilities that you have to give to your low-line product managers is extremely high for them to make decisions and, and create content that attracts clients. Um, old school, the people that are currently directors of marketing and vice presidents of marketing did not grow up in this, right? They've been doing it for 25 years. When they started marketing, it was 1995. Okay. And, and the world was different then. The world was the thick U-line. Oh, was I? I <laughs> we weren't going to mention any names, but... <laughs> bleep that out later yeah well oh well it's out there <laughs> see, see i know what you're talking about but that thing yeah yeah <clears throat> um that i mean that's that's the world that they grew up in and now we're in this you know tiktok facebook uh linkedin instagram and they still don't get it like i'm looking at like they'll join the they'll join these communities and the content they generate is the same thing they would have put in the newspaper like nobody cares about that Put the right. face of an individual right. up there. Like you look at a guy like Elon Musk, who gets it. He makes some decisions that I'm like, eh, I don't know if I'd smoke weed with Joe Rogan, but you know, everybody knows who he is and Tesla or whatever. <clears throat> if I ask you, you know, who's the CEO of Unilever right now? Unless you work for Unilever, you probably don't know. 
But guess yeah. what? We all have a Unilever product in our homes. Every single one of us, like there's no yeah. way that you don't have one of their products in your house right now. Right. You know, <laughs> and you don't even know who they are. Right. And some people don't even know that they've never even heard of them. I'm like, yeah. yeah, there's, there's an interesting um, failure sort of in marketing right now where you have companies that are trying to use new digital tools but they miss the whole point. They miss everything, right? Yeah. Um, when TikTok came out, I remember I was uh, in the, the powerlifting and strongman uh, world at the time. And you had people that would post something to Instagram and then post the exact same thing on TikTok. Hmm. Uh, so it was just, oh, here's another platform. I'm going to use it. And they didn't realize, you know, it, it has a unique flavor to the content. Like it's, it's there for a reason yeah. and the people using it are thinking sort of in a different way. Right. So there's a certain level of like social and emotional intelligence that has to go into, you know, using <clears throat> the tools effectively. But at the end of the day, you know, I, I really think that uh, we may be first movers in this space, but I do think it's the future. There's just no reason to have a warehouse, you know, full of stuff. Or a warehouse. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I'm consuming the same stuff over and over. And if, if push comes to shove, I can go to, you know, Walmart and, and buy some razor blades or something, yeah. but I can't get a pallet of shrink wrap. Right. So I should just have that set up, you know, just like your dash buttons on Amazon, you know, push yeah. the button, get your, your detergent or your toilet paper, what, you know, what have you. And, and it comes straight from the manufacturer. So you're not paying all of that ridiculous overhead. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, and, and that's what I was trying to get at is that I'm hearing you describe what you're doing and you're doing for this supply chain support um, kind of uh, what's the word ankle biter, right? Almost um, because yeah. you, you, this isn't something that is a in your face prime mover. And I was talking about this on LinkedIn recently of when I talk to business owners, when we say, okay, what keeps you up at night? It's always like the top line revenue generation activity, something that's going to bring me more revenue. It's never that. And that's, that's correct. That is the proper way of thinking. However, <laughs> these, these ankle biter stuff, you know, like what you're talking about, that affects the bottom line in the same way. In fact, sometimes a little bit bigger of a way, especially if your margins like 10%, you save 5,000 bucks. And that's the equivalent of $50,000 in new revenue. You know, what, it, what does it take to generate that? And I look at um, your model and what you're talking about. And it's, to me, it's similar to this sort of marketing revolution and all of these other things that are just fundamentally changing the way we operate. <clears throat> but a lot of the people that are in this decision-making realm, especially for the Fortune 100, you know, established, famous, hundred year old brands, they do not, they're, those are the big, the big container ships. They don't zip around like you do on a, on a ski do, you know, you turn one of those things around. you got to like, you call them people, Hey, uh, we got to turn the ship around. And then, you know, like that, that, that doesn't change easily. Yeah. Yeah. The, the act of agility, right. In large organizations. And, you know, a lot of that, comes down to fear like some of it has to do with organizational structure efforts. You know, a lot of large companies aren't just aren't very good at being large you know for being frank but a lot of it has to do with fear and empowerment and entire strata multiple strata of management that won't take a risk or make a decision because big conditioned their career right. to you know play this game of minimize my risk I, I want to retire with my, you know, pension or K and, you know, I'm not going to take a risk where I might get axed or something right. like that. Yeah. Um, the risk versus reward ratio is wrong because there's no real yeah. reward for it either. You know, you're yeah, in that's this, correct. you take a risk as a senior marketing uh, manager or senior manager of any sort. Um, you're on the cusp of a, of, of a directorship. It's not like you're going to tomorrow get, a huge pay bump or a bonus or anything like that. Like those are structured. It's going to be the same. You got three to 5% every single year. That's going to happen. Yeah. Unless you get, you go when you interview for a job and we got to interview everybody because everybody has an equal chance and an opportunity and you may or may not get it. 
And uh, yeah, so there is no reward for being risky. There's a reward for not no, that's, being risky. That's a really a great option. Something that uh, you know probably needs to be revisited, you know, in the corporate space. But you know, put yourself in the shoes of a general manager. In for for some context, you know, I ran a site with a twenty-five million dollar PNL, but you know, my salary was like. Uh, like that you know so you, you you know you're not making like that's not that much money especially for the amount of reaching, right well most of these warehouses run on you know seven and a half percent right profit so if you can save ten thousand a year in warehouse supplies and you know we've saved customers more than that you know, multiply about six figure uh, addition to top line equivalent, mm-hmm. right? In those savings, well, that's great. But if I'm the general manager, am I going to rock the boat? What's the well, reason? I'm not going to get paid more, right? My right? <laughs> only incentive would be my only incentive is pain, and this is this is you know the incentive for me to start this company was a pain situation. We have to save a certain amount of money because we're contractually obligated, you know, for these savings. And we could have hit that if, if. so it's it's completely backwards. And that's been my experience. What mm. if instead the incentive was <clears throat> to take risk and you're gonna be rewarded for proving. Right. Um, but, but we have it backwards, <clears throat> right? You'll, you'll get punished for failure, but you know, if you, really create a lot of the lesser in sales you don't you don't see any reward for it no no it's not and and a lot of it goes to the i mean there's a comfort level right when you get you get a certain size and most of the time the experiences are not as drastic as somebody like blockbuster um or ibm right but but we can look at that example and say they got big they got fat, they got corporate, they got comfortable, they got slow, they got dead, right? That's, that's what happened there. <clears throat> some of the other, um, you know, some of the other companies and, and organizations, I think the barriers to entry are very high. Um, you know, if you, if you want to create another, another auto manufacturer to take down a Ford and a GM because you want to be agile and the like, and you see these guys doing this electric stuff, you're gonna have a tough time, you know, they they can afford to be slow um, and they can afford to not like, let's not they, in, in their interest also is let's not rock things too much. Let's, this is steady. This has worked. Yeah. We're at the top. Yeah. It's hard to get here. We're buddies with the, with the, um, with the politicians and we can make the laws that make it even harder for people to come and compete with us. So let's just keep it chill. You know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's, there's all kinds of dynamics there. Um, I've been having this ongoing irreverent conversation with uh, my, one of my business partners, Jake. I think you had Jake Harrell on your program um, a few I, weeks ago. I did, yeah. So, uh, yeah, he's one of my business partners at, uh, at TVH, and, and we've been having this conversation. And since he's involved, of course, it's irreverent. Um, <laughs> But speaking, the, the, speaking of Jake, we're, I'm going to interview him again. He was joking about yeah. like he's going to get back on the podcast, and I was like, "Well, you should you should sign up as Blake Farrell and wear a fake mustache." And he did. He signed <laughs> up. <laughs> He'll do it too. He, he signed up, so I was like, "I I'm going to go ahead and open this and do this interview yeah. just to see what he does." <laughs> yeah. Well, um, the the gist of this conversation is you know throughout our career, think of the director. Name any time that a director created value for the company. Hmm. And, and we're stuck. I've had one director in my career that created real value for the company. I think what but I've, I've also had one director that is, is, is guys stop a mistake. I've seen a lot of that. Mm-hmm. you know they've been good yeah. goalies yeah uh, yeah they're, they're not Defend- forwards but they've been good goalies yeah 
yeah, that's a, that's a good uh, analogy, good way of looking at it, right? Um, it, it's, it's just sort of a, a joke about large companies. There's entire layers of management in there that frequently, uh, you know, aren't, aren't creating value, aren't creating a lot of real value. And in one case in my career was actively destroying value. You know, the, the company was, was worse off, you know, because of this individual um, type of situation. So we just joke around about it, but it really it's an indictment on sort of our, our business culture and the way we've evolved. And we're taking responsibility sort of collectively to say, you know, how do we uh, as a team come together to serve the community, serve our customers, create value, you know, and, and do that in a way that is positive and empowering. And when we sort of evolved out of, at least, you know, in the United States, evolved out of a business culture that was, you know, very punitive sometimes, um, that, that's hard to do because there's no trust, right? Mm-hmm. So, if I said to you, hey, you know what? We need to talk about how you create value company. All kinds of alarm bells are going to go off. Like, Hold <laughs> on. There, buddy. What <laughs> would you say it is you <laughs> do here? Exactly. <laughs> right. I'm a people exactly. person. <laughs> Let me find my contract. I need to read through it really carefully. Yeah. And then I'll talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's, it's, self, it's sort of self-reinforcing. And, and I think that's why you see startups um, you know, sort of dramatically changing the game because it's a fresh slate, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's there's probably some, you know, in, in the universe, there's laws of physics. And I think there's something similar in business dynamics that maybe we haven't quite nailed down yet, but we're sort of aware of. You know, I think Google is a great example of a company that started out fresh and you know, they didn't have a lot of policy and they'd say things like, don't be evil, you know? Mm-hmm. And now here we are and and they're kind of a bad guy around the mm-hmm. world. You know, there's all kinds of lawsuits and, you know, their corporate governance book is is now, you know, 14 terabytes. Um, they couldn't, you know, avoid some of this just due to size and scale, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it may be, something that is somewhat unavoidable or, or significant challenge with size. I, I think it, as long as the market pressures don't exist that force you to make a change, I don't think you'll really see them. So for instance, um, I look at like retail today and um, how Amazon has forced them to either reimagine their bottle or change right like this jc penny macy's department store like that doesn't work anymore you have to provide the customer an experience the product is not enough to get anybody in the store because i can get the product anywhere there's got to be a reason for me to physically go to your location you want me to put on clothes and take a shower and gel up this beautiful mane and get in my car put all of my children in this car and put the dog in the crate and drive 30 minutes and then go you better be giving me something right because otherwise i'm just tick 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 and you know i hear the the knock on the door your your stuff's here like oh thanks i didn't have to go anywhere um so <clears throat> I think it until that, but the barriers to entry are starting to, we're starting to see with like 3D printing and the, our ability to do the software engineering and the cost of robots and all of this stuff, it's all going down. It's all getting easier. And soon we will see a revolution in, um, in a, I think in a lot of industries, as technology allows us to be more nimble or for, and then forces those bigger companies. Um, and then you'll, your phone is going to be ringing a lot. Yeah. You know? I really feel like, uh, I feel like we're close to Marx's concern now, you know, a century later, like we're a lot closer to this idea that, you know, machines are going to take all the jobs. So what do we do? Right. And, we're, we're having like this rehash of the same old conversation. You have, you know, 
this universal basic income idea and stuff like that. Well, it, you know, Marx couldn't see the future, neither can we. We're at the point now where we have technology that can do crazy stuff. I mean, a computer can design a better seatbelt anchor for a GM car than an engineer can now. Mm. And it's 3D printed. So instead of a bent piece of metal, you know, it looks like a spider web, but it's 60% lighter and 30% stronger. Right. right. It, um, it's not going to be an option anymore. You're not going to be able to have some guy with CAD figuring out how to fold a piece of steel. You'd be required to use a computer and 3D print it because it's so much better. Right. Yeah. And then you've got your NHTSA ratings and, you know, these other forces and pressures where you might theoretically have a choice, but you don't really, you know. <laughs> I think it's an interesting world. And, and, and it, there's a lot of stuff that we just simply can't predict. I mean, the internet was not, um, I don't know how old you are, but I assume you're, we're probably about the same age. And I tell my kids I'm older than the internet. You know, and the look on their face like, wait, there was a time when it didn't exist. Like, yeah. And the idea of it didn't make sense. And when it did come out, nobody understood how to use it and what the capabilities were. And you look at how many Internet jobs do we have today? Those did not exist and were not even in the future plans of existence for anybody 30 years ago. Was not a possibility. Didn't even think about it. What is the equivalent 30 years from now? You know, maybe it's space engineer of some sort. And it's it's the guy who's in charge of, you know, I don't know, doing some moon base crap and, and, and you know, a space miner or something. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. I talked to I talked to a co-founder of SpaceX a couple of weeks ago, and he's developing a, an assembly man, uh, methodology for rockets. So to reduce the cost of the rockets, so you can fire them every day. Uh, and it wouldn't cost you like we don't know. Right. So let's let's just stay on top of it so we can be more agile. Um, but I, I feel like I'm talking the brick wall sometimes with some of this stuff, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The ability to, to change rapidly. But also, I do think we're moving into a space where um, self-governance and ethics are going to be uh, more important and more pronounced because business is moving far faster than legislation can keep up with. Yep. And businesses are actually being punished by consumers first. Yep. Uh, before the government. So we have... Um, and they'll punish you harder. And they'll punish you harder, right? So I feel like um, that sort of aspect of business is going to be really interesting moving forward. I don't think our current um, legislative framework is equipped to deal with the rate of change um, mm-hmm. you know, that we're seeing in in business right now so thankfully you've got uh, reddit to take companies the right lines so i, I want to get a little bit more into your story i mean we kind of we let you say yeah and so i started this company and this is what we do Okay, there's a that sentence. I feel like it doesn't quite capture the. I'm sure there's somebody right now that's going to work every day. They've got that nine to five. They've got an idea, right? Make that leap. How? Because you were doing that, and then you made the leap. You, you know, held your breath and you jumped into the deep end. Um, talk to me a little bit about how that went down and how that conversation with the wife went too. Yeah. Well. Um... For starters, um, I'm a multiple irons in the fire guy. So I'm currently employed with another company that I also, you know, have equity in um, and am in the process of building a factory from scratch. I'm also over here running TBH, which, you know, because of the business model, it's it's fairly easy. It's it's less time consuming. You know, um, I have a, a publishing company, and I'm writing a couple of books, and I'm on a podcast next week. So, some of just a few of, of my wife is used to it, right? <laughs> <laughs> this, 
this is what she married, right? I, I'm the guy that <laughs> I'm always doing this thing. Um, you know, I single-handedly keep folders in business, you know. Um, so, so what, uh, uh, you know, kind of how it developed for me was I realized that I could do this. And because of, I guess, my business education, I was mentally equipped to evaluate where I was at. I think that's an important thing for people that want to be entrepreneurs or jump in. Um, spend time educating yourself on the basics of business so that you can uh, assess your idea and do a little bit of um, contingency planning or what happens if, or how am I going to handle this, you know, type of thing. Yeah. So for me, it was pretty easy to assess, okay, I, I have these relationships with sourcing. Uh, that won't be a problem. And I have relationships with warehouses all over the country because I've, I've traveled a lot with, with work. Um, so the sales piece, I already have that. Um, what's in the middle? In the middle is money, mm -hmm. right? So I have to purchase goods and services and then bill somebody net terms and float that capital in the middle. And so we were able to say, okay, here's how much we can float. You know, here's how much money we have. So I can't oversell right? I can only sell this much. Mm. Um, well, I was able to do that in an afternoon, right? Uh, All right, you show off. No, no. no. Uh. <laughs> it, it's, but it's not, it's not challenging because I already knew what to look for. I knew questions yeah. to ask, that sort of thing, right? Um, so for, for somebody that has an idea, the first question is, how do I capitalize on it? You know, there's all kinds of great ideas. You know, the, the, the most amazing thing about Elon Musk is not that he had this idea to reuse rockets, right? It's that he was able to capitalize on it. It's mm -hmm. an actual program. Um, Tesla is an actual company. At the time, I don't know if you remember, but GM scrapped their EV program. Mm -hmm. like, yep. You know what? No dogs, right? And, and along came this company and said, well, you know what? We're going to go the other direction and sell an EV to rich people, and then everyone will want them. Right. And, yeah. and you know, you have high end German manufacturers now that are chasing Tesla. Right. It's um, just wild. Right. It, it is. Right? It's, it's crazy. So but the key is he was able to capitalize the idea. So that's the first question is, how do I actually make money? Where does the change hands? Who pays whom? When? Mm. How? That sort of thing. Right. And then you should be able to look at your expenses. Like, what's it going to? cost so uh, for example i have a um, t-shirt shop online as well a savage af t-shirt company whatever and uh, right now we have one product it's a t-shirt that says washington team football wtf um, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah it, it's kind of popular uh, <laughs> But the, the point is there's zero capital there, right? It's um, this company that, you know, they, they everything for you and you just get whatever, a couple of bucks every time they sell a t-shirt. So they have all of the infrastructure, zero investment on my part. I just had to use my graphic design skills to come up with design and put it on there. Um, and I get paid commensurately, which is to say not very much, right? right. Uh, I just did it for, for fun. Um, so that's an example of a pre-existing architecture or structure that I can capitalize off of. I know how much I'm going to make. And then if I had a budget, I could, I could easily say, okay, you know, I have this sales goal, this revenue goal. So I have to sell this many t-shirts, right? Most ideas are a little more complicated than that. You know, yeah. your, your goal may be to sell t-shirts to support, um, you know, like the Amazon um, deforestation projects, you know, in South America. And so you come up with a t-shirt design, you know what, you don't have to figure everything out. There, like, you can go to Google right now and find a company that will print on demand for you. Um, and then your entire job becomes marketing on social media. Hey, help save rainforest, buy this t-shirt, it's super cool. Right. right? Uh, you don't have to be Patagonia, right? Uh, you're trying to raise money for this, for this. Yeah. Um, 
Now, to, I think understanding that expense ratio, and I, well, the other thing I, I feel like most people don't get is that the majority of businesses out there, their profit margins, you know, you're looking at somewhere between on the low end, three, three to 10%, the majority. Yeah. Sometimes you'll get occasional, some service-based business, they'll hit 30, um, you know, or, or a little higher, but generally that's what you're looking at as, as a profit percentage. Right. Um, <clears throat> and I, you know, I have had conversations with folks at one time when a guy said, yeah, I, I want to buy, I want to buy a calf, like a bull calf. And then a year later you sell it, you know, you could buy it. I can't remember what he said, the numbers, but he let's just, for argument's sake, he said, it was like, Oh, I can buy it for $50 and I can sell it for a thousand a year later. And, you know, I thought, okay, where are you going to put it? How much land does it need? What are you going to feed it? How much does it cost to feed it every day? You know, you got to feed it every single day. That's 365 days. So if it costs you $3 a day to feed that thing, you've already lost money. And it was like the first time he thought about it. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. Like, what if it gets sick and you got to pay a vet bill? Like, so when you talk about understanding those expenses, I I think it's interesting. Well, you already had that P&L responsibility. So you're already seeing it, you know, and, and I think that's one thing where if you're getting, if you're thinking about starting your business, getting a chance to look behind the curtain and look at some, look at those financials of whatever company you're in right now and see what those expenses look like. And, and what are all the little things that you're not thinking about that are going to hit you and that you will have to pay for, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I work with uh, a lot of young, most older folks, um, which I guess I'm getting old enough now, you know, they're mostly younger folks, um, but <laughs> they'll, they'll um, talk about this vision they have. You know, it's a, I know it's made for TV, but it always astonishes me um, when I watch Shark Tank. Here people, and most of them have businesses, like they're actually running a business and they're going before these investors and they can't answer these basic business questions. Yep. Most of them are sold out on their product or service, right? They are missionaries for their product, right? And I see a lot of that and that's good. And and the passion is good. But I always tell folks like at the end of the day, it's all about the money because you have to have the capital. Like it's it's the uh, grease that keeps the engine turning. Like, well, we don't care about money. We're we're a nonprofit. You know, we, we drill clean water wells, you know, in Africa. You better care about the money that's what's keeping everything going right mm-hmm. um went to school with a fellow who was in healthcare, and we were talking about uh lean and operations management and you know the difference between cost accounting and throughput accounting and you know he kind of smirked a little bit and said i'm glad i don't have to worry about this you know because i'm in <laughs> i'm in hospitals you know? we're, in, we're in the business of saving lives right i'm like <laughs> That's why it's so expensive right there. Cause yeah. the like, uh, this explains everything right <laughs> now. Now I know. Right? <laughs> um, so it, it, but it's a good example, you know, some folks, they don't, they don't grasp it. It's, it's all about the money. You have to have cash flow. You have to make more than you uh, consume. Um, unless you're the federal government, but if you're in business, you know, you have to make more than you consume. Um, and, and those are things you need to think through. And then, you know, the, I have the 10% rule, which is always assume that you're going to have a 10% uh, shit hits the fan moment, right? Like something's going to, going to happen, you know, Texas is going to freeze over or whatever. Um, and you're going to incur, you know, a a 10% of your annual revenue expense all at once. Yep. And can, can you cover that? So some contingency planning, risk planning, that sort of thing. Yep. And, and being ready for that. Um, something will always go wrong. Oh, yeah. it's, it's, it's never going to be sunshine and rainbows. And uh, when you do your, your ranges of the best to the worst, plan off of the worst case scenario, you know, let, let, let yourself be kissed when the things go the other way. And like, oh, yes, you know, don't plan on, oh, we can make, you know, a million dollars, blah, blah, blah. If we hit this number, like, nope, plan for the one that's more realistic and and keep that. And I think it's the other thing is that you have a responsibility as a business owner, not only to yourself, 
but to all of those people that work in your business as well. Um, and yeah. that's, that's something that frustrates me when I see business owners play willy nilly with that, you know, um, regardless of what you think politically, this, this, my pillow guy, the Mike Lindell dude, I think yeah. he's done an absolute disservice to the people that work for him. Um, yeah. and, and, and injecting himself into politics the way he did. Uh, and now his company is in huge peril. Uh, yeah. And that was just absolutely unnecessary. And now, all you know, I feel for those employees that, you know, they're putting their their families and their livelihood at risk because they have no control over what this dude says and does. Um, yeah. And so uh, I think, you know, I, you, you talk about Shark Tank is one of my favorite things to watch as well. And, and I think about that as, you know, like what questions would I ask? And I've done some angel investing in the past too. And I think about, you know, how I approach things and, you know, folks that, that actually like I've had people that have really good business model and they, it was like this, uh, I don't know, I remember if they were like vegan cakes or what, but it was like little like sweets, brownies and donuts and stuff. It was terrible. Oh, it was so bad. <laughs> like The numbers look great. <laughs> My wife took a bite of one and was like, this is gross. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't know where they're getting these numbers from, you know, and it, and then thinking about, well, they, they were, they were bright siding those numbers and they weren't, you know, what is a, what is a more realistic type deal, right? Let's so say you, you take your best case scenario, which was this little guy and you say, oh, look, every, every scenario is going to be just like this best one, you know, from here on out. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And in that case, probably all based on first time sales, right? Right. So you can only grow so far on first time sales, right? You have to have repeat customers mm-hmm. at some point. So. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, you, you, you started the business and then you've got like seven other irons in the fire. Do you, do you yeah. see, do you see yourself slowing down at any point of saying, okay, I'm just going to focus on the one thing. Um, I, I don't know, not right now. I'll say not currently. Um, so I have, uh, I have a passion for teaching, uh, and seeing people grow. And everything that I do has some positive impact on people and the community. So the reason that I started TVH Logistics was to fill a need and a pain point that I had, which was, you know, why the hell am I paying $25 for a roll of stretch wrap that it cost them 85 cents to ship over here on a container, right? Um, so I'm creating real value there. And it's a um, revenue stream, you know, for me personally that I'm in control of. Yeah. Um, I'm starting up this factory with this other uh, company because I used to work with the, the owners, great guys. And, you know, I'd go to war with them and they are not just providing a high quality good paying manufacturing jobs in communities that need them, but they're actually training. So it's mostly young men because it's the physical work and, and it's challenging. And a lot of the employees that we have come in don't have a clue how life works. Mm. And one of the uh, business partners is in the financial world after a year they'll sit down and talk with folks like, you know, here's what you need to do. Here's how money works. So we have an 85% take rate on our 401k. Nice. Yeah. That's, you know, unheard of in, in the business world, but that's because we pay them to sit in a room with a financial advisor who normally charges a ton of money per hour, right. Yeah. To show them the math and to talk through like you can win. Um, I think we have uh, 15 first time homeowners, right? Mm. So that's something I want to be a part of. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're, and we've talked like as leaders in this company, we're making generational change. Like these are people from Appalachia that your, you know, options were coal mining or cooking meth. And, you know, I'm not even being funny there. Like those are your two options. Yeah. Know? Um. And we've, we've changed the generational narrative. You know, now they have a vision and an understanding, hey, 
if I apply myself over time and I take advantage of tax shelters and, you know, tools like the 401k, I can actually retire well to do. Yeah. I didn't even know that was the thing, right? That's awesome. I thought retirement was, you know, parking my RV on, on my dad's property, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> I know the type. I used to live, yeah. I yeah. know the type. I know your type. <laughs> uh, same thing, you know, with, That's cool, with my, uh, you know, books and publishing, you know, it's an opportunity to share um, a, a positive message of how to win with people. And, and that's kind of the passion that drives everything I do. You know, if it wasn't for specific people in my life who stepped up to the plate and said, you know, you need to get your shit together and here's how, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't be where I am. You know, I'd probably still loading trailers for Walmart. I mean, mm-hmm. I was happy. I had, you know, I had my pickup truck and my bachelor pad and, um, you know, who, who needs more than that? You know, <laughs> I had a weight set in my bedroom. I didn't have a bed. I slept on the floor because I couldn't fit a bed and a weight, weight set in my bedroom. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, to be 25 again. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm like, how soft is that mattress? And what, what material is the pillow made out of? Cause it's got yeah. or my shoulder in the morning just kills uh, me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now it's like, you know, I, I, I fall asleep, you know, in, whatever position and I wake up and, and my body's like, nope, doesn't that count. <laughs> you just lost six hours for nothing and I'm not going to cooperate all day. We have to reset today. Yeah. That is so true, man. <laughs> you force yourself to go to the gym and it's like, no, I'm, I think I'm just going to stretch today. That's that's what today's going to be. It's going to be a stretch day. See, I've, I've really simplified it for me. Um, what I do is I go to YouTube and I, I put on like this powerlifting video and I get all pumped up and then I don't work out. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's as close as I get these days. Uh, yeah. I got a little hefty in, in my old age and I had to, I had to get some of that under control and um, a few, few army injuries that were starting to like legit become more painful. And yeah. Uh, I had to move my body or I was going to get, I just don't want to be, you know, <clears throat> I'm not even 40 yet. Uh, but the amount of snap crackle and popping, you know, I sound like rice crispy treats when I wake up every morning yeah. and uh, it's like, I need to get some stuff under control or, you know, when my kids are teenagers, they're going to be able to beat me up and we got to make sure that that's not a possibility. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What I've, I've got a, um, a set that's a, a barbell sort of with hooks and different resistance bands yeah that you can use and because it's dynamic with the bands less pressure on my joints you know when i'm in a, you know in a compromised position sure um, so i use that every day i do have a, a bike in the basement i try to do 30 minutes every morning um and i stretch so most of what i do now is related to mobility yep. you know i I have to keep fit to keep pursuing what I love, but you know, I mean, I'm married with kids. Like, I know I'm sexy. I, you know, I did it all. So I <laughs> yeah, that was that was good. That was good. I, I feel you. I know. I'm, I've got the same yeah same problem here. <laughs> <clears throat> so let's round it out with. Um, why don't you tell us uh, what kind of clients are best for you? And, you know, if one of them does happen to be listening, how they might get in touch with you. Yeah, great. So if you run a warehouse, any of our listeners that run a warehouse and you consistently use packing tape, corrugate, void fill, banding, your typical stretch wrap, you know, your typical supplies for, preparing stuff for shipment get in touch with us tbhlogistics.com there's a contact form there there's a phone number you can call directly our business motto is if we can't save you money we don't want your business and so you can uh, fill out the form and say you know we we order about 10 rolls of stretch wrap a month and we'll go contact our suppliers find out who wants that business 
and come back with a quote. And if you can save money, great, we'll do business. If we can't save you money, then why the hell would you do business with us anyway? <laughs> do you, yeah. Do you work in the U.S. anywhere in the U.S. anywhere in Canada anywhere in the world? What What is your geographical restrictions? Well, realistically, to save any money, it'd have to be the the forty eight states. If you know Alaska and Hawaii, feel free to drop by, say hi, request a quote. Um, it's probably going to be pretty high um, for for shipping costs. Um, so pr pretty much limited to the 48 contiguous states. Uh, Canada, Mexico, we do not ship internationally. We're not set up for that. So love okay. uh, all of our NAFTA partners, but U.S. only at this point. But anywhere in the U.S., you guys can help them out. Yes, sir. Awesome. Well, you heard it. And now this is, you know, if you have a warehouse, even if you're not just a primarily warehouse operation, but if you have a warehouse of some sort, uh, TBH Logistics, and I think I'll drop a link in the comments for folks uh, so they can do that. John, thank you so much for sharing with us today and, uh, you know, having a, a wonderful, wonderful time hearing about all of your multiple projects and irons that you got going on. Lewis, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. Appreciate it.